Well, we're going to continue today on our series of The Love Revolution. We are on part five, and I'm going to spend a little time. Oh, you know what? I was going to do this thing, whether it makes any difference or not, we'll find out. But I was going to set my timer, you know. Maybe it'll make a difference. Maybe it won't. <laughs> but I, um, we're, we're in a series. Okay, give me just a moment. I should have. Yeah, there it is. Get that handled. All right. Auto lock is off so that I can actually see the timer. <laughs> Slight detail. Okay. So um, we're going to continue this, and really about half of my message this morning is going to be reviewing the last four weeks. If you have missed any of the last four weeks, I really encourage you to go out online and listen to it, uh, listen to all of what it is that God is saying in this time. I really consider this, these not just a series of sermons, but a move of God that we're participating in, uh, truly a revolution of love. So... I want to encourage you in that. So let's start looking back ways, and um, I'm going to take my notes over here. And we're going to start with, in a second, there it is. I I just have to point out again, don't you just love the L-O-V-E? We're turning it around. (laughs) We're having a revolution. It's being turned around. We are going to be lovers. Anyway, so part one was all you need is love. All you need is love, (laughs) right? And uh, in uh, in that lesson, one of the main things we talked about, let's see here, is that everyone is searching for love. All the songs, all the movies, everything has to do with love. We're all searching for love, which means everyone's searching for God because God is love. So when people are searching for love, what they're really searching for is God. And the most likely place that they're going to find God is in you. Point to your neighbor and say, in you. That's right. We're most likely going to find him in you. So we might be able to then say that what people are searching for is, raise your hand, say me. That's right. God, people are searching for you. They're searching for the God in you. And uh, your life is literally a living epistle of God's love and God's being You're, to every person that you meet. And, I've, and I can just imagine, I had this slight picture of somebody going, ay, 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 ay. I was so rotten yesterday. What kind of picture of God's love was I? But, you know, that all works out. And as a lifestyle, we're a picture and you're in a living epistle. And we want to be the favorite chapter that people read, the love chapter about God. Then we went on to lesson number two, seeking the lover. Each of these lessons made several points, of course. And I'm just bringing out the parts I'm feeling compelled to bring out. And, and that people are seeking lovers. They're not seeking laws. They're not seeking moral lists. They're not seeking doctrine. They're seeking lovers. And we talked about how that, you know, studying doctrine is for those people who have decided they want to be disciples. It's not about us going and teaching our doctrine to the world. It's about going and loving the world. And and as a matter of fact, even once you're a believer and once you're studying doctrine, Um, we don't study doctrine to prove we're right, which thus means somebody else is wrong. 
You'll remember we read these scriptures. I don't have it up here, but John 55, verses 39 through 40. And this is out of the living, New Living Translation. This is Jesus speaking to the Jewish people. And he says, you search the scriptures because they, you think they give you eternal life. But the scriptures point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. And you see, we would be no better than the Jews if all we're doing is searching for doctrine and not coming to Jesus. The purpose of studying the scriptures is to see Jesus, to build our relationship with Jesus, to get to know Jesus better and get to know what he thinks about us better. It's, a, it's in order to get to know our God, our Savior, our lover, and in so doing, have more, give him more access to our life, us having more access to his life. While certainly we as believers are to study the word and to rightly do our best to rightly divide the word, certainly. But love always triumphs, trumps. Love always trumps knowledge. 1 Corinthians 8 says, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So again, we have to ask ourselves, why are we studying the word? Is it so that we can be right and somebody, which thus means if I'm right, somebody's wrong. And we create these divisions and these dividing lines, and the gospel was never meant to divide us. You realize, don't you, that doctrine is unfortunately become a huge dividing line. That's why there's so many denominations. And unfortunately, denominations have had a tendency to divide the body of Christ rather bring, than bringing us into what Ephesians 4 talks about, one body, the spirit, keeping the spirit of unity. So while it's fine that we have differing beliefs, and indeed you will choose what church you go to according to what you are... You, you will choose what church you go to according to how you have understood the word, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you living according to the faith that you have, but there's also nothing wrong with me living according to the faith that I have. There's nothing wrong with a Methodist living according to the faith that they have in Christ, and nothing wrong with the charismatic living according to the faith that they have, or the Baptist living. Read Romans 14. Romans 14 is about differing beliefs. Everybody is seeking after God. Living according to the faith that they have is, is what God is looking for. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin, Romans 14 says. Where's our faith? Have they studied the word and they've determined this is what I understand the word to say? Do they not have a, they, notice how I say they. That right away I've divided us. Do they not have a right as much as we do to study the word and decide what it means and grasp it the best that they know how in their love for God and then serve God from what they understand, just like us? So it's not meant, doctrine is not meant to be a divider, but we've made it a divider. We've made it a, I'm right, you're wrong. And doctrine has many times trumped love, but love should always trump doctrine. I remember, I didn't say all this in lesson one, but we've been in ministry for well over 30, 35 years. And 
except for about seven year period. The Lord uh, had us out of ministry. We worked in corporate America. And it was a very life transformational time for us. We, we didn't know it, we were kind of thrown into it. It was a huge adjustment, but we then found out how transformational it was. Pastoring, when you're pastoring, you go to your church every Sunday. <laughs> you, you know, you, you don't have as much exposure to what other believers are believing. You may read. You may listen, back then, there wasn't as much TV to listen to and online, you, certainly there was nothing online back then when we were first pastoring. And then you go to the meetings where everybody believes like you believe. So we went to many conferences every year to learn, to grow, to fellowship, to have community. And, and we, we were constantly learning, constantly growing in our stream of thinking only. Pretty much only. So when we were out of ministry, all of a sudden, the world of the body of Christ opened up to us. And it was shocking to me. I can't speak to what Jeff felt, but it was shocking to me. It was shocking to me because I was of a belief nobody drank alcohol if you were a Christian. And I came to find out some of these people we were work, Jeff worked with invited us over. We went over there one night, and they had a big old bar in their basement, and they were serving alcoholic beverages. These, these, this man was totally involved in Promise Keepers. We love Promise Keepers. I thought, how can this man be drinking alcohol? Because that was not the stream I had been walking in. But I tell you what, he loved God with all his heart. It was an eye-opener. I didn't know what to think. Then, as we began looking for churches... And we visited many churches. Having been pastors, we were definitely very selective about where we were going to go to church. And, and, we, and we spent a year looking for the right church. And finally, Jeff determined that this one church was a good place to go. But they did not believe the way we be I had believed all the years. And I had a very hard time with it. And I didn't want to go. And he said, well, you know, if I'm just done. I'm done looking. I th I'm happy here. If you want to keep looking and you find something you think will like, I will go with you and we'll check it out. Well, I just couldn't do it. So I kind of begrudgingly went to this church who had basically good, solid teaching, but did not have the fullness of what we taught or what we believed. And it was very hard to go for many weeks, months for me. And I kept knowing in my heart if I would just it was a very large church if I get to know somebody things will start to change and that is exactly what happened but a longer story short is this by being in this church who didn't believe all the things we believed I discovered God-loving God-fearing people who were getting people leading people to Jesus who were teaching people how to live for Jesus who loved Jesus who were sacrificing their lives for Jesus just like us. It was an eye-opener. They didn't have to believe what I believed. We still have good, good friends from that time, and we still don't believe everything the same. But we respect each other, and we honor each other, and I learn from them, and, they learn, and we learn from them, they learn from us, I'm sure. It's a love relationship. Love trumps doctrine. People are seeking lovers. I'm going to go ahead and add this one a little piece. You know, you don't have to raise your hand. 
But I just wonder how many of us in here have said, oh, those Christians, they're legalistic. They're religious. Well, I think we need to ask ourselves, if doctrine in our lives trumps love, are we not the religious ones? I think we need to stop and say, am I a Pharisee? Am I a Sadducee? Am I so convinced you have to believe the way I believe to be okay? We need to ask ourselves, are we now the religious ones? All right, part two, part three. Part three and part four that Pastor Jeff taught are very closely tied. Whoops, I've already, oh, 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 let's read this, because this is out of the New Living Translation. I had said that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. This is new living. But while knowledge makes us feel important, oh my gosh, is that what it's about? It is love that strengthens the church. Whoo! Okay. Part three. What's love got to do, got to do with it? Yeah, we saw Tina Turner up there. <laughs> right? And uh, what Jeff talked about that day is... Love isn't a second-hand emotion, as the song says. It's a spiritual reality, a spiritual dimension. And in this dimension of love, our faith in God comes alive and is empowered. We've read where the scripture says, faith works by love. This is what it means. When we're in, when we're in that love dimension, it's easy to have faith. And lesson four is closely tied to lesson three. And he called it a place called home. And where, what we learned in part four was the backstory. That it's important to know the backstory of God's love. That God has always loved us, never abandoned us, has always chased us, even when we turned from him. He's not been angry with us. He's not separated himself from us. It's us who separated ourselves from him if there's any separation. And he's always chasing us even when we turn from him. He's always there. He always loves us. He wants to be with us. And that's a big part of the backstory. We learned that the word agape, the Greek word for the God kind of love, comes from two root words that I'm just going to sum up here, that means he leads us beside still waters. His love causes us to rest. When we are in his love, we're at rest. We're in assurance. We're home. We're safe. And in that safety, it's easy to have, it's easy to have faith and it's easy to have love for others. <laughs> which, by the way, reminds me. You know, we're talking about a spiritual dimension, which is actually true. But you know, love eventually works itself out into feelings in some cases. And if you've ever been in love, or if you've ever had a baby and been in love, right? Isn't it like just this love just oozes through you? It's easy to love when you're in love. It's easy. You know, when, you're, when, you're, when you first dated someone you were in love with, you know, you not only love them, suddenly you love everybody, <laughs> right? Because you're just so full of love, right? That's in the feeling realm. But you see, in the spiritual realm, it's very much the same way. As we're resting in the knowledge that we're loved and accepted and safe, suddenly you don't intimidate me. 
Suddenly, I have no fear. I have no embarrassment. I have no shame. And thus, the real me, who is love, comes out to you and produces, and you get to see that living epistle of God's love coming through as we go home and rest beside the still waters in God's great, great love. And thus, and I forget if I, we put this up here or not, I don't think, let's see, yes. It's a place where we rest in the knowledge that we are in his likeness and his love, and his love flows through us. Okay, here's the point I'm wanting to get to. And thus love flows through us out of likeness to him, not out of moral effort. That's where, you know, that's where we want to live, is that in our relationship with him, we are so experienced and rested in his love. We're at home, we're safe in his love. So then love flows out of us because of likeness, not because we're striving to make it happen. Because really, on the inside, you're already just like God. There's nothing on the inside of you, in your spirit, that needs to change. You are totally redeemed. You are totally in the image of God. You and God are one. God and you are one. Jesus is in you. You are in Jesus. Jesus is in God. You're in God. God is in Jesus. You're in God. You're all one. You're already love. It's this outer man that gets in the way. So you have everything you need. And so as we can rest in that, it flows. But when we're striving, we bottle it up. So one more review point I want to make here that comes out of that lesson that Jeff did. And he defined revolution, love revolution, right? A sudden, radical, or complete change. A fundamental change in the way of thinking about or visualizing something. A change of paradigm. We're in the midst of a change of paradigm. Now, if, if you've been a believer, you know love. God is love. Jesus loves me. This I know. We know that there's love. But God is revealing, a, you know, for all I was thinking about this, as though it's so brand new. Well, it's not brand new. It's as old as God, this kind of love. But for some of us, we're just coming into the knowledge of it. Some of us, we're just grasping. There is further love than we've yet allowed ourselves to experience. I was reading last, I, I've been very drawn, I've read this book before and I've been to the movie twice, The Shack. Jeff mentioned this last week and, and I was very drawn during this series, go read it again, go read it again. And as I got to the last couple of chapters, I mean, God was really talking to me through this. And then I came to the last page and Jeff read this and I came to the, it was just last week that I came to the last page. And Jeff read this last week. And the main character is Mac. And it says, if you're going to hang out with Mac, you'll soon learn he's hoping for a new revolution. Guess what kind? One of love and kindness. Now, I don't know when this book was published, but what we're telling you here today goes back, you know, there's people who's been preaching this now for a while. A further understanding of a love revolution. There's people, if for those of you who hear us preach from the Mirror Bible, this is the latest edition. It's still being written. 
It is one big edition. You can go out on Amazon and order them if you're interested. This is a love translation, let me tell you. If you I'm going to have it up here. Uh, if you want during the Bronco game to come take a look at it, uh, you're certainly welcome to. It's not yet on um, an app. There's an old app, but it's not the newest one. I'm hoping it comes out soon so that you can have it right on your electronic device. But it'll, these will be here if you want to take a look at them and, and consider them for yourselves. So now, let's go to part five. And part five, well, let's play the song. If you're old, you might remember it. <laughs> if you're young, you may have never heard it before. What the world needs now is love, sweet love, not just for some, but for everyone. I decided to go back and read a little bit about how this song originated, and I, it was kind of an interesting thing. It's like, all you need is love. It was in the 60s, and these two songs were kind of a breakthrough thought of universal love, and the lyrics are by a man named Hal David, and he wrote, he wrote a lot of lyrics, and then Burt Bacharach put the the song to it, the melody to it. And, he, and, and Hal says that uh, it was kind of a regular thing for him as he was going into town to just let things go through his mind. And one day he heard the, these words, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing there's just too little of. But he couldn't get anything further. He couldn't get anything further. It took several months and he kind of tried again. And it was always, I'm reading this now, it was always the same thing. I needed something to compare it to. And everything I thought about had nothing to do with the person I was talking to, God. He was talking to God. Isn't that interesting? It took more time to write these lyrics than any other. I realized that I needed to write the antithesis, what we don't need. And then it came. Lord, we don't need another mountain. There are mountains and hillsides enough to climb. There are oceans and rivers enough to cross, enough to last till the end of time. But what we do need is love, love, sweet love. He said, I knew that was it. I wrote about all of the things that had to do with nature and what God gives us. Now, that's his words in there. And I'm going to say, but isn't it interesting how he was crying out for love? Couldn't the whole world just somehow love. And I'm not presenting all of this information about this song to say that this is equivalent to scripture knowledge or anything, but I just want you to see it's the world's cry, love, sweet love, not just for some, not just for the ones that you love, that they're nice to you, but for everyone. So our theme scripture today is, we've read it before, it's Romans 13, 8 through 10, out of the mirror. It says, remain debt-free, the only thing we owe the world is our love. This is the essence of the law. 
Love makes it impossible for you to commit adultery or to kill someone or to steal from someone, speak evil of anyone, or to covet anything that belongs to someone else. Your only option is to esteem a fellow human with equal value to yourself. Everything love does is to the advantage of another. Therefore, love is the most complete expression of what the, lo- of what the law requires. So, We're going to talk about these two points. One is equal value, people having equal value, and the other one is everything love does is to the advantage of the other. We're going to start with this one. Love is other-centered. If you want to know if you're allowing that release of God's love through you, ask yourself, is it other-centered? John 15, 13, we're all familiar with this. There is no greater love than this, than that a person would lay their life down for someone else, for a friend. Uh, Dr. John, Master Giovanni, Giovanni tells us that the ego is our fallen state. Okay, and we, we think of ego as pride, and yes, that's a portion, but there is a uh, Hebrew understanding that the ego is our fallen state. And it is, this is how you would define the ego. It's the desire to receive pleasure for itself alone. In other words, selfishness. The ego, our fallen state, is the desire to receive pleasure for ourselves alone. Now, interestingly, God is a giver, and he created us to receive the pleasure that he has to give. It's right to receive the pleasure that God has to give, but it becomes ego when it stops at us. I want this. This is for me. It makes me feel good. It's all about me. What we're supposed to, what's supposed to be happening is God gives, we receive, and then in our God-likeness, we give it away. It's not just for ourselves alone. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus was God. There was nothing wrong with thinking that for Jesus. It says, I'm not going to read it, but if you read in there, he was equal to God, and that was perfectly, obviously, we all understand, okay. But he laid that down. He laid his rights down. And why did he do that? Because he so valued you and me. And he laid down what was rightfully his in order to take care of us. And then it goes on in Philippians 2, 2 to say, let that same spirit be in you that was in Christ Jesus, that we would not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So I'm wanting to just point out to you, love is other-centered. And if you're wondering, am I walking in love? Am I allowing that real love person to come out? You can stop and say, well, is it other-centered? Then point two, we're going to keep this brief. We're going to go on to point two. Well, here we go, is that love esteems others as equal to ourselves. Love, point one, love is other-centered. Point two, love esteems others as equal to ourselves. Do you know that in order to esteem someone as equal to yourself, you cannot be judging them? Have you thought about that? When we stand in judgment of people, in essence, we're saying, I'm superior, you're inferior. I'm right, you're wrong. Where's the equality in that? 
You know, judgments make us feel good, don't they? Again, you know, kind of feeds your ego. I'm right. You know, I was right when so and such, so and such. And then you play it over, you play what happened over and over in your head. Now listen, I know this because I do it, okay? And you play it over and over in your head. I was right, I was right, I was right. And you know what it does? It makes me superior. Oh, wait, ego. Something about ego, right? Earlier in one of our lessons, I said, I called it a Christian agenda. What's our Christian agenda? And we talked about, well, yes, there is the assignment to go and preach the gospel. But there is a stigma and a connotation with even using the word agenda that comes to mind. And it's called a hidden agenda. And I think we Christians have had in our preaching of the gospel, I have... I'll just admit it, I have, and, I have, and I'm, finding, I'm trying to find my way through this maze out of that thinking. A hidden agenda, which is I will be nice to you because I want you to listen to what I have to say about Jesus. Now, I like people, I really do like people, so I don't necessarily not like them when I'm talking to them, and maybe I even care about them, but I have a hidden agenda. I am going to be all about you until I get the chance to tell you about Jesus. Anybody? You don't raise your hands, but you can tell me afterwards, make me feel a little better that, yes, I've been there too. Had a hidden agenda. You know, and again, what does that do? That makes us superior, and I've got something to give you. It's very hard not to have this separation between people when we think we have a message people need to hear. I've got something you need. You don't have it all. You're not like God enough. You're not like this enough. You're not like that enough. But I've got it. I will tell you. And then you will get better. And thus we call that holier than thou, right? But we think we're doing such a good thing because we're going out and preaching the gospel. So while we have an assignment to go tell the world, it shouldn't be in that format. It shouldn't be in that form that I'm better than you and I'm superior than you. 1 Corinthians 5.16 says, see no man, there's the alarm, see no man according to, pause, pause, stop, cancel. All right, there we go. No, it doesn't want to. (laughs) It won't listen to me. Just stop. (laughs) what did he say I couldn't hear it hand it to Lisa (laughs) make sure it doesn't come back on would you (laughs) so we are near the end so even though we have an assignment to go tell people there's a different way of doing it than a holier than thou than I know something you don't have and I'm going to tell you This revelation came out in prayer. Catherine and Cynthia and I were praying together the other morning, and I wish Cynthia was in here to hear this, because she prayed out. Catherine prayed out something, too, that I just went, whoa. And Cynthia prayed out a couple of things that I went, oh, my gosh, there's the revelation. So I have to give her credit. But So remember, 1 Corinthians, I'm going to come to what Cynthia said here in a second. 1 Corinthians 5.16 says, see no person according to the flesh. I mean, after all, Christ came for us all. He died for us all. 
Cynthia's revelation has to do with this as she prayed. Two different things. One was, is that God wants to tear down walls between us and the people who seem to be different than us. That's what this love revolution is partially about. Well, maybe that's what this love revolution is all about. Is that he wants to tear down the walls between us and people who are different from us. Maybe they're different because of color of skin. Maybe they're different because of education or socioeconomic levels or political reasons. Or maybe they're different because of doctrinal reasons. Or maybe they're different because of gender choices. That's the hot button of today. Maybe they're different for all kinds of reasons, but the thing is, is God wants to tear, he wants unification, he wants reconciliation, and he wants to tear down the walls. And I will say to you, I believe the primary wall up between us and them, once again, I've just made a differentiation, the primary wall between us is judgment that holds the people, other people at arm's distance from us. It's not just that they think a different way than me, but I judge them for thinking a different way. Being different, living different. Now granted, we may not become the best of friends with people who are different from us. We may not even be friends at all. I mean, you take something in common usually to have friendships, so maybe you won't become friends with them, but that's different than judging them. It's okay where you choose to go to church. If you don't believe the things that we're saying here so much so that it bothers you and you need to find a church that believes what you need to you believe, that's fine. I want you to know we believe and the leadership here believes you can be here no matter what you believe. That's what belong, believe, become is all about. You are welcome here no matter what your lifestyle is, no matter what your color of skin is, no matter what your education level is, and no matter what doctrines you believe. So, if, I, if Jean and I just had this discussion, there are some things we don't necessarily believe alike, and I said, Jean, you're welcome to believe whatever you believe. I believe that we can just talk about it. You know? And she, but she knows God brought her here. This is what she's just been telling, but I know, in spite of these differences, I know God brought me here. That's what happened when we went to that church down in Highlands Ranch back at that time that didn't believe. God, we didn't believe what they believed, but God brought us there. He had his reasons and his purposes, and we learned things. Which brings me back to now the second point um, that I want get to get to on this. How are we going to tear down these walls between us? And I believe this is a primary way. The key to knocking down the wall of judgments is to regard each person as equal to ourselves. And it's, did I get this up here? Let's see. And it's not just that we have something to give to them, but they have something to give to us. If you approach another human being who doesn't think the way you think and are able to say, maybe there's something I can learn from them. You've just put yourself on equal footing. You've gotten rid of the judgment. Do you know that God's gifted every human being? Every human being. They've all, all they all, we all have something to give. 
So it's perfectly okay that you might think you have something to give to somebody else who's different than you, as long as you realize they also have something to give to you. And you open your heart as an equal and say, what can I learn? How can I grow? What do I need to know with a sincere and open heart that will tear down the walls, that will create equality, that will create true love, the true unity that Christ wants to have, and it'll break down that wall of judgment. We've got to get on equal footing with people regarding no person according to the flesh. God loves us each and every one equally. Each and every one of us have equal value that Jesus came for. Each and every one of us have been created in the same image of God. Forgiveness has been extended to each and every one. There's no place for the kind of judgment that judges somebody else in, in such a way as to hold them at arm's length. Again, I will say on a lifestyle basis, sure, you might make judgments. You're not going to let a murderer come into your home. You're going to make that judgment, okay? <laughs> you may make some judgments that somebody cannot keep taking advantage of you. You may have to make that judgment. You, you, may, ha you may make judgments that determine whether we get along or not. If we get along, maybe we're going to be friends. Maybe we'll even be best of friends or not. You're going to make those kinds of judgments, but that's different than judging a person's heart and soul and keeping them at an arm's distance simply because they believe differently, keeping them at a spiritual arm's distance from love. So what the world needs, Al? <laughs> Thank you over there. Love, sweet love. And not just for some, but for everyone, right? So as we rest in the unconditional and safe and that sweet love of the Father, watch for that same love to come through us. It's a love that's other-centered, and it's a love that values everyone so much that you want to hear what they have to say and what you can learn from them, as well as pour into them the love that the Father has for them. Amen. Next week, we're going to have the last lesson, lesson on the love revolution. And come on up, hon. And uh, it's going to be called The Passion of Love. 